Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. In his autobiography, General Douglas MacArthur wrote, I have always loved athletics, and the spirit of competition moved me to participate in as many sports as possible. I became the quarterback on the 11, the shortstop on the 9, and the tennis champion of the campus. Douglas MacArthur was not a born athlete, but he was a tenacious competitor. According to biographer William Manchester, What MacArthur achieved in sports, he achieved by sheer stamina. Although better at baseball and tennis, football was MacArthur's true love. This podcast will focus on the general and football. MacArthur's passion for football began in adolescence. As a teenager in 1893, Douglas MacArthur was sent to West Texas Military Academy. In his third year at West Texas, MacArthur joined the football team. He sat on the bench his first year on the team, but in his fourth and final year at the academy, he was the team's quarterback, a position that required quick calculations and courage, not necessarily a robust physique. As a 17- and 18-year-old cadet at West Texas, MacArthur was too skinny to be an imposing-looking athlete, but he impressed his teammates with his scrappy ability to get the job done. According to a former West Texas teammate, The scrimmages were hard on him. You could see his lips turn blue, but he would get up and fight again. As quarterback at West Texas, a young MacArthur led his team to an undefeated, unscored-upon season. This season marked the end of his career as a player. It would, however, usher in nearly six decades of devotion to football, especially West Point football. In 1899, MacArthur entered West Point. As one of MacArthur's biographers, D. Clayton James, points out, at 5'11 and 135 pounds, MacArthur wisely did not try out for football. Despite not playing on the West Point football team, MacArthur would serve as team manager in 1902, and he would be one of the program's most loyal fans. His ties to West Point football did not end when he graduated in 1903. In the decades to come, following his experiences in World War I, MacArthur would go on to have a major impact on the program. World War I validated MacArthur's personal love of sports and made him believe that competitive athletics was a vital proving ground for those who would face the real-world pressures of holding a command or fighting in a war. Above all, World War I convinced him of the value of organized group athletics in creating and maintaining morale. He would write, The effect upon the army at large of an extensive system of competitive sports, controlled by competent and well-prepared officers, cannot be overestimated. His experiences in World War I also demonstrated that it wasn't enough to ensure that officers were fit for the physical rigors of military service. In MacArthur's opinion, 
These officers also needed to know how to teach others so that they could improve the physical condition of the men they commanded. With the end of World War I, MacArthur soon had the opportunity to turn these beliefs into policy. In 1919, MacArthur was appointed superintendent of West Point. At the time, West Point was known colloquially as the Monastery on the Hudson. As an institution, it had remained unchanged since the Civil War. MacArthur immediately embarked on a series of reforms designed to modernize the institution and make its graduates more effective and prepared for command. One area of reform, and arguably the most popular of all the reforms, involved athletics. Once voluntary, during MacArthur's tenure as superintendent, athletics became a core part of the West Point experience and all cadets were required to take part in at least one sport. The justification for this new requirement was simple. According to MacArthur, athletics brought out leadership, mental and muscular coordination, aggression, and courage. He believed that these qualities determined the destiny of the intellect. Essentially, it was not enough for cadets to be book smart. They also needed to learn to work as teammates, and they needed to learn to face adversity and pressure. MacArthur saw football and athletics in general as the perfect crucible. When dealing with MacArthur, it is always important to remember that when it comes to values and psychology, MacArthur is both a modern 20th century man and also a quintessential 19th century Victorian. As such, MacArthur's interest in sports after World War I combined muscular Christianity, a basic love of the egalitarian nature of open competition, and the wisdom of an experienced veteran anxious to see that future young men were prepared for what Theodore Roosevelt had termed the crowded hour. Nine intramural sports were started at West Point and quickly became very popular. For this new athletic program, MacArthur appointed a young officer by the name of Matthew Ridgway to be faculty director of athletics. Prior to this, Ridgway had taught French and Spanish and had served as a tactical officer at West Point. Rivalries between different cadet teams blossomed. Cadets even took to referring to the intramural sports as intramurder sports because of the violence involved. Always a competitor at heart, MacArthur relished the competition. He composed the following quatrain and had it carved above the school gymnasium doors. Upon the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds that upon other fields on other days will bear the fruits of victory. With the assistance of the West Point chaplain, who was also a lover of athletics, MacArthur even abolished West Point's 100-year-old rule prohibiting activity on the Sabbath. This allowed an additional day for cadets to engage in football games and other sports. In addition, MacArthur also made it possible for the Corps of Cadets to follow the football team to away games outside of New York. As superintendent, MacArthur frequently lurked on the edges of the football field during practices. The star of the team during MacArthur's tenure was Red Blake, a third-team All-American end. In the first decades of the sport, before teams fielded distinct offensive and defensive units, 
players that lined up on the ends of the line on both offense and defense were simply referred to as ends. Blake was considered one of the best ends of his time. MacArthur took great interest in Blake's career, and in the decades to come, both men would keep up a correspondence about football. In 1919, MacArthur sent General John J. Pershing tickets to the Army-Navy game. He wrote to Pershing, Army will turn out a well-rounded team. The line is excellent, the ends good, and the backs fair, with a superb fighting spirit. It will not be a great team, but it will take a great team to beat it. During MacArthur's tenure, Army never bested Navy. Despite this disappointing record, he did lay the groundwork for future teams. While superintendent, he lobbied congressmen to appoint gifted athletes to West Point, and this effort would pay dividends in the 1930s and 40s. Even after his departure from West Point in 1922, wherever he was stationed in the world, he would fire off messages and exhortations to the West Point coach. He could also be counted on to help promising young athletes enter West Point. One such case was that of Arpod Kopsack of Pennsylvania. His brother, Peter Kopsack, played end for Army football from 1931 to 33. After graduating from West Point, 2nd Lieutenant Peter Kopsack had the opportunity to meet then Army Chief of Staff General MacArthur. MacArthur greeted the young man with congratulations on his football legacy at West Point, and then Kopsack brazenly mentioned that his younger brother Arpod, then at Carnegie Mellon, wanted to attend West Point. Reportedly, MacArthur only replied, Can he play football like you? The young man said yes, and Arpod Kopsack was later admitted to West Point. The elder Kopsack did not see MacArthur again until 1958 at a Sports Illustrated banquet in New York City. MacArthur not only remembered Kopsack, but also his request regarding his brother Arpod. MacArthur greeted Kopsack by saying, I got him in, didn't I? Today, Peter Kopsack's uniforms and medals are housed in the MacArthur Memorials Collection. Clearly, whatever MacArthur's responsibilities or the geographic gulfs that separated him physically from West Point, he remained devoted to West Point football. It was a constant in his life, and this was no more apparent than during World War II. Despite his duties as Commander-in-Chief of the Southwest Pacific Area, MacArthur kept up with football and fired off messages to Red Blake, his old protege who was now coach of the West Point football team. MacArthur was thrilled in 1944 when Army defeated Navy for the first time since 1938. In response to this victory, MacArthur sent Blake the following message. The greatest of all Army teams, we have stopped the war to celebrate your magnificent success. This message is vintage MacArthur hyperbole at its finest, but of his enthusiasm for the win there can be no doubt. During the occupation of Japan, MacArthur worked seven days a week. The only break he ever allowed himself, besides private movie showings at night, was Monday morning quarterbacking and reading the sports page. He followed college football and usually picked winners but he always picked Army to win any contest. One day, during an important discussion of occupation policy, 
MacArthur startled his staff by suddenly going off topic and commenting that Army had started its second-string backs in a recent game. Those around him quickly learned that he knew players by name and he knew their stats by heart. Even after MacArthur's dismissal during the Korean War, he would continue to correspond with Red Blake about the West Point team, the players, and Army schedule. In 1951, a cheating scandal rocked the Army football team. At the time, teachers at West Point who were teaching multiple sections of a class on different days would issue only one test. Cadets in later classes would ask cadets in earlier sections about the test and then successfully complete the test with this foreknowledge. Even though arguments were made criticizing the teachers for being lazy and not issuing different tests to each class, Every cadet entering West Point takes an oath to uphold the honor code. This code completely prohibits cheating, which is defined as giving or receiving aid, as well as knowing about cheating and not reporting it. The cadets involved in the cheating were dismissed by a presidential order. Thirty-seven of those cadets were football players, mainly singled out because they knew about the cheating and did not report it. Red Blake's son, Bob, then starting quarterback for the Army team, was one of the cadets dismissed. The scandal shook the Korean War off the front page of many newspapers and captured the attention of Army brass and President Truman. Under fire, Blake drove to New York City to seek the counsel of General MacArthur, who himself had recently been dismissed by the President. Explaining the situation, Blake asked MacArthur if he should resign as coach. MacArthur vehemently protested, telling Blake to stay on and that he should never leave under fire. Blake stayed on as coach, and during the difficult rebuilding seasons of 1951 and 1952, MacArthur continued to encourage Blake to resist calls for his resignation. In 1953, West Point rebounded, with a record of 7-1-1, one one, including a win over Navy. MacArthur's faith in Blake was well-founded. In his career, Blake would coach three Heisman Trophy winners and 11 Hall of Fame players. But his dynasty would not end there. Twenty of his assistant coaches would go on to become head coaches, including Vince Lombardi, the namesake for the Super Bowl trophy. According to his biographer, William Manchester, MacArthur had a mystic commitment to West Point that increased with age and was most clearly reflected by his interest in football. In the last years of his life, MacArthur would play host to visiting delegations of West Point athletes. He would also continue to receive visits from Red Blake. Oftentimes, Blake or one of his assistants would bring MacArthur footage of games or go over plays with the general. These visits continued until the general's death. MacArthur's football legacy does not end with his death, however. Since 1965, the Norfolk Sports Club of Norfolk, Virginia, has presented the General Douglas MacArthur Award to a graduate of a Virginia high school who is recognized as an outstanding athlete in a college or university program. Past recipients have included Curtis Strange, Ralph Sampson, Bruce Smith, Mia Hamm, Dre Bly, and Heath Miller. To date, the majority of recipients have been football players. In addition, 
Every year since 1959, the National Football Foundation has awarded the MacArthur Trophy to the best NCAA Division I college football team. The 400-ounce silver trophy was designed by Tiffany's and was a gift of an anonymous donor in honor of General MacArthur. Like the Stanley Cup, the MacArthur Trophy is one of a kind and is kept by the winner for a year. MacArthur's famous quote, There is no substitute for victory, is engraved on the trophy. Since 1998 and the advent of the BCS Games, this trophy has been awarded to the winner of the BCS National Championship Game. Douglas MacArthur is mostly remembered as a military leader, but few today remember his contributions to football. His interest in football was both personal and professional. A competitor at heart, he just loved the game. As a leader, he clinically recognized the practical benefit of athletics on leadership and citizenship. In 1959, the National Football Foundation and Hall of Fame presented MacArthur with its gold medal award for his contributions to college football. On receiving the award, the general summed up his feelings about football in two sentences. Football has become a symbol of courage, stamina, and coordinated efficiency. In war and peace, I have found football men to be my greatest reliance. Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.